I have a question for you this morning. What do these historical figures have in common? We're going to show their pictures up here on the screen. We have first the, the Roman Emperor Nero. Then we have Pope Leo X. Then Adolf Hitler. Then President Ronald Reagan. President Barack Obama. And finally, Barney the Purple Dinosaur. What do all those figures have in common? My guess is you have no idea, right? Give up? They have all been accused of being the Antichrist. <laughs> They've all been accused of being the Antichrist. The, the, the Barney the Purple Dinosaur is a little bit more of a tongue-in-cheek uh, accusation there. But throughout history, these, each of these individuals have, by, by certain groups of people, have, have thought that maybe one of them have, was the Antichrist. Um, Christians have been speculating about this for the last 2,000 years because the Bible does speak about this figure, the Antichrist, who will appear before Jesus Christ returns. And, and as you can see, there's been a lot of variety of who has been accused of this title. But you may not know this, but the term Antichrist actually only appears in two books of the Bible, 1 John and 2 John. Um, and this fall, I happen to be preaching on one of them on the book of 1 John in a series that I'm calling 1 John, A Letter of Love. And, and we are going through this, this letter that John, um, the Apostle John wrote. Um, we can hit that next slide, the, 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 the sermon series there. Um, and, and we're talking about how this letter speaks a lot about love. Last week in particular, we looked at uh, what, what it says about God's love for us and how that should lead us to love God and also love our neighbor. Um, but as we're going to see in our text today, John also has some warnings for his readers. And specifically, in today's text, he warns about antichrists. Now, notice that I said antichrists with a plural, right? He does talk about the antichrist, but his focus in this passage is actually more on plural, antichrists. And as we're going to see that he has some very specific instructions for his readers about how to guard against the influence of these antichrists. And so my sermon title today is The Antidote to Antichrists. The Antidote to Antichrists. We're going to look at who these antichrists were in, in that who John was addressing and whether that has any relevance to, to our situation today and also what John kind of prescribed as the antidote to these antichrists and, and how John's teaching might also apply to us today. So our text today is 1 John chapter 2. We're going to be reading verses 18 through 27. So hear God's word to us today. 1 John chapter 2, beginning with verse 18. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? 
It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, even eternal life. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. We pray that you would open our eyes to understand it more fully today as we study this passage together, that your Holy Spirit would illumine our hearts and our minds, and that you would teach us, Lord, what it means to, to be alert and aware of, of dangers around us in our world and, and how you are calling us to trust you, Lord, and to remain in you more and more in our lives. So speak now, Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, um, I'm just going to look at two things in this passage today. First is the problem of antichrists. What is this problem that John is talking about, about these antichrists? And then second, the antidote. What is the antidote? What is the solution to this danger, this problem that, that John is addressing? So let's start with the problem of antichrists. Um, John first actually mentions this term, antichrist, in verse 18 of our text. And this is where he writes this, Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. Now there's some debate about what John means in this passage when he refers to this is the last hour. Because typically the phrase the last days or the last hour in the Bible refers to the second coming of Christ, the end of this present age, the beginning of Christ's eternal reign in the new heavens and the new earth. But as we all know, it's been 2,000 years since John wrote this letter. And so the last hour that he says was present then, it's been a really long hour, right? So one of the commentators that I was reading this past week um, shed some light on this. I think it's a really helpful illustration as we think about the way that, that the Bible sometimes speaks about this language of the last hour, the last days. Um, so I'm going to show this illustration here. On the top um, of, of, the, of the picture here, the top illustration shows history with an arrow pointing toward the coming of Christ. So this is all of the history before Jesus came first, right? History is all running towards the coming of Christ, right? All throughout the Old Testament, all the preparation is coming. And finally, Jesus comes 2,000 years ago. He comes. And then that second picture underneath shows what happens after Jesus comes. That, that when Jesus came, there is a bend in the arrow with this caption that I, that I kept on there. It says, now, since the coming of Jesus, it has taken a sharp bend. And as you can see, the arrow now is no longer running towards the end, but it is running along the end. Um, and so this, this commentator, J.H. Newman, he describes this as history is now running not 
toward the end, but along it, and on the brink of it, and is at all times near that great event, which, did it run towards it, it would at once run into. Christ then is ever at our doors. So ever since Jesus came 2,000 years ago, we have been living in the last hour. We have been living in the last days. That, that Christ could return at any moment, right? The arrow could veer off to the side at any moment. We don't know when that will happen. Only God knows when that moment will come. But so we are living in this age where we're in the last hour. We're in the last days. That started back when Jesus came. Even in those, earth, those first, and you see that the New Testament writers talking about, we are in the last hour, we're in the last days, and we are still in that last hour in those last days. But going back to verse 18, John says that one of the reasons that he knows this is the last hour is because he says, many antichrists have come. Now remember, John is writing this letter in the first century, just decades after Jesus' ministry. So even at that point, when it's just been a, a few decades, already John says, many antichrists have come. So think about that. We're living now 2,000 years later. Do you think that there might be some other antichrists who have come over this period of time in the way that John is going to be talking about it? Probably. Um, so who are these antichrists, right? Who are these antichrists that John is referring to? And, and what's the problem that they pose? Well, in verse 19, John says, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. So John here is actually saying that these, these antichrists were actually a part of their church community. They went out from us. They were a part of us, and then they, then they left. But he says that it became clear that they did not really belong to us, that they weren't actually believers in Christ after all, but that these antichrists, though, were part of their community. And in verse 26, John writes, I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. So here's the real danger. The real problem with these antichrists that, that John is talking about, that they're trying to lead John's readers astray. They're trying to influence these believers in Christ and lead them away from the truth. But what is the truth that they're trying to lead them away from? Well, verse 22 tells us. Verse 22 says, Who is the liar, the one who is leading them astray, these antichrists? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. So the problem of Antichrists that John is talking about here is those who lead Christians away from believing Jesus is the Christ. Let's put that up. Those who lead Christians away from believing that Jesus is the Christ. That is the problem of the Antichrists, is those who are trying to influence believers to no longer trust that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is fully God, fully man, that he is God in the flesh, that he is the anointed one, which is literally what Christ means. And so these Antichrists are literally anti-Christ, right? They are anti-Christ anti-against 
people believing that Jesus is the Christ. Now, in John's context, these individuals were specifically denying the teaching that Jesus was fully God and fully man. That was one of the particular issues going on in John's community. I talked about this actually in the very first message of this series, that the way that John starts this letter is he really emphasizes from the very beginning that Jesus is both the Son of God, fully God, fully divine, but he's also fully human, that he is in the flesh, that we can see him and touch him and, and feel him, right? That's what John starts his letter with, that the eternal Son became flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. And so these antichrists were trying to teach and, and lead other peoples astray from believing that truth. And later in, in this letter, actually, in John chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, he writes, this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God, every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. So, so how does he identify the spirit of the Antichrist? Is someone who is denying that Jesus came in the flesh. Right? He, he, he emphasizes that, Jesus coming in the flesh. In, in another letter that John wrote, 2 John, John also writes about this. In verse 7 of that letter, he writes, Many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. So again, John is identifying the problem of these antichrists is those who lead Christians away from believing Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is fully God, fully man. He is the anointed one. He is the Savior of the world. Now, are there people in our world who are like that today? Yes, there are. There are many people in our world who do not believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Son of God. Um, other world religions view Jesus as a good man, maybe as a prophet, but not as the Christ, as the Son of God, as God in the flesh. Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons do not affirm the biblical teaching that Jesus is fully God and fully man. Some atheists and agnostics might acknowledge that Jesus was a good teacher, that he was maybe a good example, but don't believe that he was anything more than a regular man. So there are many people in our world who, who do not believe that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of God. But what John is warning about, he's warning his readers that these antichrists had actually been a part of their Christian community. That they were not just out there, the, the pagan Romans, they're not going to affirm that Jesus is the Christ. He's worried about people who are in the community that are beginning to teach that Jesus is not the Son of God, that he is not the Christ. And sadly, there are people in churches today who do not believe that Jesus is fully God and fully man. In fact, there are even pastors of Christian churches who do not teach that Jesus was fully God and fully man. And so we have to be vigilant about this teaching. This is important. We affirm that here in our church, that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Christ. He's fully God, fully man. And there's a reason that it's so important to affirm this. It's a reason why John is so concerned about this, because this is what he says in verse 23. He says, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. And so here's the, here's the truth that John is saying. You cannot 
deny who Jesus is and think that you still have a relationship with the Father. You can't, you can't not believe that Jesus was fully God and think that you still know God because Jesus is the only way to the Father. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so it is so important you can't deny who Jesus is and think that you still have a relationship with God. So the danger of these antichrists, it's not just that they're teaching false doctrine, but they're actually leading people away from the Father. They're actually leading people away from God, from, from the source of all life. They're leading people away from salvation. And so it's not just a question about being wrong about a particular theological point here. This is, this is people's eternal destiny that is in the balance that John is concerned about. Now, before we move on to the antidote to this problem, I want to ask you a question. Is what I've been talking about right now what you normally associate with the term antichrist? Or do you tend, so, so, so do you think that, that an antichrist is someone who is trying to lead people away from believing in Jesus? Or do you tend to think of the antichrist as some world leader who's going to try to create a one-world government who is trying to implant microchips in people's heads and who's turning our government away from Christian values. My guess is that for many, that's the, what we normally associate with this term antichrist, right? Because that's actually the, the image that we get in a lot of end times books and movies and certain preachers who really emphasize this. You know, in the age of the internet, there are all kinds of websites and YouTube videos and online communities that would love to try to convince you that this person or that person is the Antichrist. That, that, that this thing, te technology or whatever, this is the mark of the beast. And here's the thing. Christians have been predicting things like that for 2,000 years. And guess what? They've never gotten it right. Every prediction has been wrong, right, for 2,000 years because Jesus hasn't come back yet. All those figures that we saw at the beginning, they're not the Antichrist. One day, will there be one individual who will line up with all of the various end times prophecies? There are a lot of them. There's a prophecy about the beast in Revelation 13. There's a prophecy about the man of lawlessness in 2 Thessalonians 2. There's this language here in 1 and 2 John of the Antichrist. There are false Christs that Jesus talks about in the gospel. So there are these warnings about, but are they all gonna be necessarily the, the same one person who's gonna come in the future? Maybe, maybe not. There are a lot of different interpretations about these various passages and whether they all fit together or whether they're actually talking about different kinds of things, the reality is there's no consensus on this topic. You talk to a different Christian, <laughs> different denomination, they're all going to give you different answers about what they think about the end times. But here's the thing, is that what ends up getting missed by Christians who get obsessed with trying to decode these end times prophecies is actually what John is focused on here. Because is John focused on worrying about some world leader who's going to arise and try to implant microchips in people's heads? Is that what he's worried about? 
No, he's worried about people who are trying to lead people away from Jesus. He's worried about people who are teaching false doctrine and trying to lead people away from believing that Jesus is the Christ. That's his concern, right? John is concerned about people's eternal destiny. He's concerned about their salvation. He's not concerned with trying to read and predict <laughs> all these big, these big world events and all that, right? This is just me speaking honestly here, that when I see Christians getting all wrapped up in conspiracy theories and spending countless hours listening to political pundits or televangelists making predictions and railing against this or that in society, and it can happen in all kinds of different ways, I wonder to myself, is that what God wants us to spend our limited time and resources in, in our lives? Does he want us to, to spend hours and hours trying to, to predict what's happening? Or does he want us to actually get involved with the neighbor down the road who doesn't know Jesus yet? Does he want you to, to come alongside a, a young person in our youth group or, or your child or your grandchild or a niece or nephew and, and disciple them and make sure that they know who Jesus is? And make sure that they have a good foundation of believing the truth about Jesus. Not about your political or cultural philosophy or ideas, right? Those things, that's, that's, that's okay, that's important too. But what really matters in this life? It's Jesus. Salvation, it's eternal life, right? I worry that sometimes we're focused on the wrong antichrists. And that we're actually losing a generation, in the process. So what's the antidote? What is the antidote to these antichrists that John is talking about here? What does John say is the answer to this problem of antichrists, trying to lead people away from Jesus? Well, the first place we see the beginning of this answer, it's in verse 20, which says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. What, is, what does John mean when he says that you all have, you have an anointing from the Holy One? Well, to kind of give us some context of this, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, the Apostle Paul says, He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts. So he connects anointing with the Spirit. In Acts chapter 10, verse 38, Peter talks about how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. So when John here is talking about his readers having an anointing from the Holy One, it's very likely he's talking about the Holy Spirit, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, which is given to all believers in Christ. And John connects this anointing with knowing the truth, which is exactly how Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit in the Gospel of John. And in John chapter 16, verse 13, it says, but when Jesus says, when, when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. And Jesus specifically talks about how the Holy Spirit will testify about him and that, and that the, the Holy Spirit will remind the disciples that of what Jesus has said. 
And so the first aspect of the antidote to these antichrists that John is talking about is that the Holy Spirit teaches us the truth about Jesus from God's word. The first antidote is that the Holy Spirit will teach us the truth about Jesus from God's word. John's readers, they had been taught the truth of who Jesus is, that Jesus is fully God and fully man, that he is the son of God who's come in the flesh. And John reminds them, guess what, guys? You've been anointed by the Spirit. And he is the one who will continually teach you and remind you of that truth in the face of the lies of the Antichrist. So when we face those lies, we have the Holy Spirit who will teach us and remind us of who Jesus is. Where do we find that? In God's word. In verse 21 of our text, John says, I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. So John tells his readers, you know the truth. You've been taught by the Holy Spirit. And the same is true for those of us who are believers in Christ, that we have been given the truth of who Jesus is as the Holy Spirit has taught us. How has he taught us? In his word. This is where we know who Jesus is. This is where we know that Jesus is fully God and fully man. It's from his word that he's given to us. And he's given us the Holy Spirit to, to illumine our eyes and to understand it and to believe it. But there's one other element of this antidote, which John highlights in verse 24, which reads this. It says, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the, in the Son and in the Father. So John tells his readers that, that what they've heard from the beginning, the good news of Jesus that they heard when, when they first believed, that must remain in them. So the second aspect of the antidote to the Antichrists is that we continually return to the gospel and remain connected to Jesus. We need to continually return to the gospel. We need to remain in Jesus. It's not enough to simply hear the gospel once, believe it, and then expect that we're good to go from then on. Because we live in a world that is hostile to the gospel. We live in a world that is full of antichrists, who want us to believe that we don't need a savior, who want us to believe that we can save ourselves, who want us to believe that, that we don't need this, this Jesus stuff, that, that it's all made up, or, or that maybe it's even harmful. Right? That is the message that our culture is telling us and our young people. The Bible speaks about an enemy, an enemy behind the Antichrists, who's the ultimate Antichrist it's Satan, the deceiver, the evil one. He is our enemy. And Satan, what does he want to do? He wants to turn people away from Jesus. He wants to deceive people into thinking that God isn't for them, that Jesus isn't real, and he will do anything to accomplish that goal. And so how do we resist that pull? How do we resist that pull away from Jesus? We must remain in him. We must remain in him. We must hear the gospel over and over again. We must be reminded of what is true, what is real. 
we must be brought back to that same message we heard when we first believed. I want to give you a, an example of this, a great illustration of this, I think, that, that comes in, in uh, C.S. Lewis's children's series, The Chronicles of Narnia. I realize I've, I think I've given a couple illustrations from this book, actually, a couple times this past year. But this was from a different book in that series. It's from the book called The Silver Chair. And in the book The Silver Chair, at the very beginning of the book, there's a girl whose name is Jill. And she comes from our world into the, the land of Narnia. That, that all these books talk about. And, and, and she enters into Narnia, and she meets, the very beginning, she meets Aslan, the lion, the king of Narnia, who's sort of the Christ figure in the Chronicles of Narnia. And Aslan gives Jill a task. He tells her that, he, that she is going to have to try to find a prince, a lost prince, who had been captured away from his father, the king. And so he says, this is your task, Jill. You need to go find this lost prince. And then he, what he tells Jill is he gives her four signs that will help guide her in this quest. So he tells her, you know, here's the first sign, second sign, third sign, fourth sign. And he tells her, Jill, you have to remember these signs. To say, say them to you yourself in the morning when you wake up. Say them to yourself before you go to sleep. Remind yourself of the signs over and over again. Don't let anything turn you away from following the signs. And then he, war- he, gives her, he gives her this warning. I'm going to read this from the book. He warns her. He says, here on the mountain, where, where they were at the time, he says, I've spoken to you clearly. I will not often do so down in Narnia. Here on the mountain, the air is clear and your mind is clear. As you drop down into Narnia, the air will thicken. Take great care that it does not confuse your mind. And the signs which you have learned here will not look at all as you expect them to look when you meet them there. That is why it is so important to know them by heart and pay no attention to appearances. Remember the signs and believe the signs. Nothing else matters. Well, as the story progresses, guess what happens? Jill has some trouble remembering the signs. There are times when she repeats the signs in the morning and in the evening, and she's doing a good job of that, but there's other times where she begins to forget to do that. She stops repeating the signs, and she begins to, to get confused and, and starts to, to, to get the signs mixed up a little bit. She can't quite remember them. And there's even times where she completely misses one of the signs that she should have noticed if she'd been paying attention, she'd been remembering them. But you know what happens in the end? Jill finds the lost prince. But the reason for that, a significant reason for why she does, is because she doesn't try to find him on her own. She ends up meeting up with her friend, Eustace, and she tells Eustace the signs. And then they together meet up with another friend, Puddleglum, and they tell Puddleglum the signs. And so as they're journeying on this way, there are times where one of them begins to forget the signs, but then one of the other ones reminds them of the sign that they had forgotten. And together, they're able to find this lost prince. You and I have been given the gospel. We've been given the message of salvation. And maybe when you first came to faith in Jesus, that message was crystal clear, like it was for Jill on the mountain. When you first heard the good news and you just felt like, 
How could you, how could you not believe this? Right? this is, Jesus was so real and he was, he was present in your life. But like Aslan warned Jill, as time goes on, it can be easy to forget what you heard on the mountain. And there can be times when we're living in this world where, where what we heard when we first came to Christ begins to become confused or we begin to doubt it. We begin to, begin to, 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 be, to, to be led astray. Maybe some of you who are listening or here even today, maybe you've kind of forgotten the gospel that you first heard. Or maybe it doesn't seem as clear or as real as it once did. Maybe you've been starting to listen to voices that are trying to lead you away from Jesus. Brothers and sisters, remain in him. Remember the signs. Remember the gospel, the gospel you first heard. But take heart because you don't have to remember it alone. Just like Jill had Eustace and Puddleglum to help remind her of the signs when she began to forget, guess what? Jesus has placed us in a body where we can remind each other of the gospel, where we can remind each other when we begin to, to doubt, where we, we begin to, to listen to those other voices, that we have been given a community that we are a part of. Parents, that is part of what God has called you to do, to help your children remember the gospel, to pour into them, and walk with them to remind them of who they are in Christ, to remind them of who Jesus is. But guess what, parents? You don't have to do it alone either. You're a part of a body who can walk with you in that. There's this broader body of Christ that we are a part of that can help us remember the gospel. So friends, there are antichrists in this world people who are trying to lead us away from believing in Jesus as the Christ, but take heart, God has given us the antidote to those antichrists. He's given us the Holy Spirit who can teach us and remind us of the truth about Jesus from God's word. He's given us God's word, which can, we can read and study regularly, and he's given us each other, fellow believers in Christ who can help us re remember the gospel. So remain in him. As we close, I just want to read the last verse in our text again to you. Verse 27. And my prayer is that as I read this verse, listen to it. As John was speaking to his readers, hear him speaking to you. Hear me, your pastor, speaking to you. Hear these words. Verse 27. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you. What's that anointing? The Holy Spirit remains in you. And you do not need anyone to teach you, although it doesn't hurt to have someone help teach too. But ultimately, he says, but as his anointing teaches you, as the Holy Spirit teaches you about all things, and as that anointing, Holy Spirit, is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge that, that we can sometimes be led astray, that we live in a world full of people who do not believe in you, full of people who have their own agendas, 
and, and we know ultimately there is one in this world, the enemy, who wants to lead us astray, who wants to lead us to believe that we can live lives on our own, that we don't need you, that we don't need forgiveness, that we don't need your salvation, that we can be our own gods. Lord, give us courage to not listen to the evil one. Give us courage to trust in what we have received when we first believed in you, to trust that your word is true. We've experienced that truth in our lives, Lord, and remind us of it in moments where we begin to doubt, in moments where we begin to be led away from it, Lord, bring us back to that first love. Bring us back to that moment when we knew that you were real. We knew that you had died for us. Lord, we need to hear that message over and over again so that it becomes new every day, every week, that we'll go deeper and deeper into this truth that we will know deep within us, Lord, that you are the Christ. Who else could we go to, Jesus? Who else could we go to? You are the one who has the words of eternal life. And so help us to trust you, to rely upon you, and to remain in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.